Welcome to the Master Your Mix podcast, helping engineers, producers, and artists create professional recordings and mixes, even from home. I'm your host, Mike and Davina. Let's get started. Welcome to the Master Mix Podcast. My name is Mike Navina, and thank you so much for being here today. Today, my guest is Scott Evans. Scott runs a studio called Anti-Sleep Audio based out of Oakland, California. And there he has worked with bands like Thrice and his own band called Kowloon Walled City as well as a bunch of other great work with a ton of hardcore bands. He's really well known for working on loud rock music. That's his main thing. And uh, he does great work. And inside of this episode, we get into some stuff that we've never really talked about on this podcast before. Scott is very into computer programming. He actually was a computer programmer uh, before he went all in with audio engineering. And it definitely shows. And, and I think that he's implemented some elements of computer programming into the world of audio engineering that have allowed him to work much more efficiently. And inside of this conversation, we go into that and we discuss some of the scripts and the macros and the different tools that he uses to help make the process of working in audio faster, more efficient, and so that you can retain your creativity and not feel burnt out. So inside of this episode, Scott shares a lot of great tips about that kind of stuff. So let's just jump right into the interview. This is my interview with Scott Evans of Anti-Sleep Audio. Scott Evans, thank you so much for being on the Master Mix podcast. How you doing, man? Uh, it's my pleasure. Hello. I'm doing pretty good. Thank you. Awesome. For people who might not know your background, who you are, how you got into all of this, what you do, can you give us that quick story? Uh, yeah, I can try quickly. I, I don't know how interesting it is. Uh, I live in the Bay Area in California. I've got a studio in Oakland uh, uh, that I've had. I've had this space for probably seven years, eight years. I don't know now. And uh, I play in a band called Kowloon Wild City. Uh, we've been a band for coming up, I think, on 15 years, and uh, I don't know, I do a lot of recording and do a lot of loud music, um, and I've done a handful of cool experimental things also, uh, but I think my my sweet spot is, you know, sort of loud, gnarly, fairly natural sounding uh, heavy stuff. Oh, and I guess I should mention I've also written for Tape Op for a long time, um, and uh I've, I've done a, a fair number of interviews for them and also do moved into doing gear reviews. So I've done that on and off. I've been pretty busy and gear reviews are a little harder than you might think. Uh, so I haven't done a ton lately, but it is fun to do. So that's that's sort of another angle of me. Interesting. It's funny that you said gear reviews are harder to do than than most people would think. Why is that? Well, let's say, you know, oh, do you want to review this large diaphragm condenser? Like, sure. But, you know, if you're doing sessions all the time, you know, you are you going to really just track a vocal through this mic that you've never used before? Uh, and, you know, or, or you're going to, you're mixing, or you're going to, like, take the time to really dedicate to using this this weird compressor, or, you know, like, using that stuff in, in the heat of battle without trying it is a little bit questionable. Um, and finding time to do, like, a proper shootout, especially if you don't, you know, you want a good singer or you want, you know, whatever, uh, like, oh, let me try this, this mic versus 10 other kick drum mics, you know, like that's just, you know, it's not, it's just not trivial time-wise. Uh, fair. It's, so it's really just the, I, I you want to feel like you gave something a really fair shake um, and, and really got into it. And that takes time, you know? Of course. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, time management, I think that's something that we'll definitely talk about today. Um, you know, I think, I think that makes a lot of sense because you're not, why would you use some gear that you're not always familiar with? Sometimes you're going to experiment in the studio, I suppose, but you know. Oh yeah. You know, if you're like, oh, I'll, I'll put up a second guitar mic and you know, I'll just keep both of them and listen later or, you know, you know, like listen, really care, whatever, like that kind of thing. Sure. Um, but you know, it's just it's just another thing, and uh, often during sessions, your brain is already doing enough things. Um, so it's I don't know. It, it, the other thing is that uh, there's I'm not looking to review, you know, another mic preamp or, or you know, like this kind of thing. Like it's got to be something that really seems like oh, I would love to use that. Like I, I'm, it's not like I'm a, a 
an employee of tape op and it's my job to keep doing reviews like we do them when we see stuff that appeals to us so you got to see something that seems really cool and you know probably in my case if i'm if i'm gonna love it i might want to buy it and so like if it's going to be like a eight thousand dollar you know stereo tube compressor like i probably shouldn't review that because <laughs> <laughs> i'm probably not gonna pony up for it you know like yeah it could be a dangerous trap to fall into <laughs> uh definitely yeah <laughs> It's interesting, though, because I think that there's a lot of people out there who just love to to try out all this gear and blah, blah, blah. But I think, you know, there is something to be, to, to be said for when you know what you have and how to use it. Sometimes that's just like the fastest, smartest way to work because you can be much quicker with it, right? That's always the fastest way to work. And trying out gear is fun, but trying out gear and then putting your name next to your opinion of it forever, you know, in print. Uh, for me, at least, you know, I want to like, I'm not, for instance, I already feel bad that I'm not a tech, you know? So like if some, if I'm reviewing 1176, like I, I, I'm not going to put it on a bench and, you know, like do full specs on it and take it apart and be like, well, they, this choice of components, you know, but I feel like sort of feel like reviewers should do that. You know, like you, you want to know, like how legit is this thing? Not just, you know, did it sound cool when I ran a vocal through it? So, you know, that's kind of the bar that I already have set for myself is feeling bad about that, you know, and, and you just want to, I don't know, you want to say th stuff that you feel like you can really stand by. Absolutely. So, that makes sense. You know, it, it's, it's definitely different than just trying, you know, fucking around and trying something a few times. For sure. And you definitely have the experience of doing this for years. So, like, you kind of already know what you like and what you don't like. And I'm sure, like, do you, do you have, like, specific, um, like, stipulations for, like, what you hope the gear will do for you before you start, like, reviewing it? Like, are you looking for things that are, like, time-saving tools or something like that? Like, is that kind of what you would generally look for? Or You know, it's really... Um it's really all over the map. Uh, if, if I see something that is, you know, new and looks cool, I might hit up Scott McChain. He's the gear editor and say, Hey Scott, you know, can we get one of these for review every once in a while? I'll, I'll find something that just on my own that I really love. And this is one of the great things about tape op. If you're, I've been a reader of tape op since like issue three and they used to just have like, it was like their, their contributions were, I found a cool thing and here it is, you know, it wasn't like a typical magazine at all. And they'll stu still do that if you come across that stuff. So like, uh, I put a, a timed power bar in my rack a couple years ago so that, you know, when you turn on one switch, the racks turn on first and the mixer turns on second and the speakers turn on last. And then when you turn it off, they do that in reverse order. So no pop and only one switch. And I was like, this is the fucking greatest. And so, you know, I wrote a quick review of that. Um, now, the funny thing is, then I got an email from Andy, who used to be the gear reviews editor. And he was like, well, you know, the component they use in that for the timing thing actually wears out over time. Like, those are known for that. I was like, fuck, Andy. But, you know, I wrote a review for rack screws. Like, I found these rack screws. And they were really good rack screws. And so, you know, like, so it, it goes back and forth between that or like, hey, can I try these ribbon mics? Uh, you know, can you get a hold of these new ribbon mics and we'll try those, you know, which is a little bit more of a traditional gear review thing. But the ones that I love in tape op are not, you know, oh, look, a $6,000 opto. Like they're, they're weird little things like, oh, here's a thing you can attach to your mic stand that holds headphones and it's 10 bucks. I love those dumb little tweaks like that. So that's, that's kind of, I, you know, when yeah, I can yeah. write those for tape op, that's what's up. I really like it. That's amazing. I, yeah, I love that because those are like the practical things that people actually find useful in the studio most of the time, right? It's like yeah. the, the $6,000 Opto. I mean, we got lots of plugins that can probably do something very similar to it. You know, we probably don't need that. But like, you're right. Like those little things that bug you all the time, like the rack screw that doesn't work or whatever, like those are those are the details that we kind of care about a lot more. Yeah, we, or we like, use I, it a lot like more. I, I found these things called drum clips um, a few years ago and they are rubber clips that uh fasten over the side of a drum hoop and sort of sit uh you know so they're 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 attached to the bottom of the drum hoop and then they they just sit on the drum head and you look at them and you might be like man that is really going to damp the drum but they actually pop off the drum a little bit on the strike so you still get all the attack but then they'll they quickly go back down and uh and they dampen ring a lot and so they're very musical 
they're way, you know, they're much more durable than moon gels or whatever. They cost like four bucks or seven bucks or something like that. And that kind of thing will materially change your recording session. You know, like if you have five of those and you can just hand them to a drummer, like, oh, your snares too. We just want to dry it out a little bit or your toms won't stop, you know, singing, you know, 20 bucks and, and, and it's a game changer. Like, and, and that is just, I'm not saying that like a, a nice, you know, compressor or EQ isn't important, but uh, lots of those little things can really make a difference every day. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you you definitely seem like you're the kind of person who cares a lot about efficiencies in the, in your workflow and in the studio. Like, I don't know. Would you agree with that? Um, yeah, I, I wouldn't go too far with it, but I like, I, I, you'd have to ask my friends, I guess. I don't know. I, like, it's not something that I think about a lot, but I think I do naturally tend to sort of optimize out things that happen over and over again. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. Well, I know that you and I had chatted previously about you had a history as a computer programmer. And, you know, as a result of that, um, you've kind of just learned to be a little bit more efficient with like your your macros and the kind of stuff that you like to create your script and all that stuff. So that, that was definitely one thing that I wanted to talk to you about, because I feel like when it comes to uh, being in the studio, so many of us just like just do the things over and over and over again. And we don't realize how many steps we've repeated timeless times and you kind of just you lose track of how much time you've lost but you know what i mean you know what i'm saying is like you know you you waste so much time doing these things over and over again and there are a lot of ways to shortcut these things and i know that you're really into doing the macros and writing scripts and stuff like that so i kind of wanted to talk a little bit about that and how you got into that and you know how you're implementing those kind of things into your process yeah i think there's two things to think about for, as far as a rationale goes one is uh, you're right. It does use a bunch of time and that's, you know, important. Time is valuable. Uh, but I think there's two other things that are maybe more important. One is that if you're, if you takes a long, if you go off and do whatever this thing is that you got to do that takes forever, it takes you out of the zone, like the sort of sweet spot for really doing creative, you know, which side of the brain is it that does the creative part? That side, uh, you know, like, which is what you're really there for. You know, you're really there to work on music. And if you're too busy, I don't know, organizing files on disk or renaming things or, you know, whatever it is. Uh, for me, that stuff takes me out of what I want to be doing. Uh, and the other thing is with certain things, um, consistency is really important. You know, if I'm going to upload six different mix revisions of an album for a band... I want to feel really good that there that I'm not going to it's not going to have four fuck ups in it because all that stuff is really frustrating for the band uh will inevitably take an extra day or two for them to be like hey this sounds like the exact same mix that we got yesterday and for me to sort it out like you just never want that stuff to happen it's super amateur hour shit and it's going to distract the band and decrease their confidence in you. And it makes me want to kill myself. I just like that stuff. I hate it. So, so trying to find ways to, uh, one of the things that automating some things does is it lets you be consistent without thinking about it. That's a really good point. Cause yeah, th we probably follow like the same sort of steps over and over again, but if you have to think about it each time, there's way more room for error. Absolutely. Yeah, so I've got scripts that like, you know, that rename mixes for me when I do mix revisions automatically and puts dates on them and numbers them and all this stuff. I've got scripts that that zip up MP3s named a certain way. Um I've got I don't know, scripts that do MP3 encoding with the with the right ID3 tags, you know, with the artist name and the date and all this stuff. And you know, none of that shit matters, but I don't want to type it and I don't want to think about it. And it is every MP3 that I've run for a band for the past 10 years has been exactly the same as a result, you know, like, and it's just nice not to have to think about that stuff. For sure. It's, it's really interesting that you mentioned like how you don't want to type it. it it's so true. It's like, I, I recently just got um, text expander, which I'm sure you're probably familiar with, which, you know, you, you can basically create like shortcuts that auto expand your text and this and that. And um, one of the fun features about that is that on the back end, it has like a analytics tab where it will show you how much time you've saved as a result of using their macros. And and it, it's like amazing. Like just the first week I had it, I'm like, holy shit, like I've saved hours already just by using these scripts. And it's like, like that's crazy, right? Yeah. Like I use Alfred on the Mac, which is uh, like a 
a launcher and uh, yeah, it has way too many features, but yeah, like it does stats too. And it looks like on a good day, I use like the thing that jumps between apps, the hotkeys stuff. 400 times a day or something like that. You know, like I, I think one of the important things with this stuff though, is to find or, or to, to focus your energy on tools and, you know, uh, automations or whatever that are sort of coarse and really reusable. Um, I think it's really easy to get bogged down in trying to create the perfect, you know, uh, little crafted tool to do one little thing that maybe is actually very different every time. Like you should not be writing a tool for this. Like, like, you know, you, you need like a, a basic ass hammer, not a hammer that's custom designed for this one nail that you have one day. I, I think it's very easy to, you know, spend a ton, bunch of time crafting the exact right thing in keyboard maestro that will only work, you know, once a month. And that's not worth the time. It's true. That's a good point. You know, before we go real deep with this, I feel like we should probably describe what we're talking about for people who have never heard of macros or have no idea like what this kind of stuff is. Like, how how would you describe what a macro is or, or what these shortcuts are? Yeah, that's a little tough because I think I'm so immersed in this. You know, like I came up as a de as a developer programming Unix a million years ago, and Unix was all about scripting. And I immediately fell in love with all that stuff. Um, and so that's been sort of a part of my life since then. And it really is like oxygen for me. I don't even think about it. But um, in the more modern sense, if you get out of the sort of command line Unixy stuff, uh, something like Alfred or Keyboard Maestro, they are these apps that allow you to... Uh, I feel like Keyboard Maestro is one of the easiest ones to understand. Like you can say... I've got a, a macro in there. Maybe it's better to explain it by example. That if you use Pro Tools and you use the uh, what is Command U? Um, uh, unused regions. Uh, it's like trim regions or whatever, oh, okay. right? Like, yeah, yeah. okay, yeah, and yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, like that's great, but um, you can't hit OK with the keyboard, right? Like, so you have to grab your mouse and move it over the OK button, and I just avoid using the mouse as much as possible. So uh, with Keyboard Maestro, you can make it so you, you push some magic chord, you know, of keys like Command-Shift-U is what I have it programmed to. It goes and looks for the OK button in that dialog and pushes it for you. And like that's the kind of thing where it's like, that's stupid uh, to do that. But every time I use it, I'm like, ah, you know, like... Hey, and there's tons of little things you can do with that. Like, for instance, I'm really particular, this is so stupid, about track colors and Pro Tools, right? And there's like a, you know, there's that you click on wherever it is to get the little color thing to come up. But there's no keyboard shortcut to do that. So you can assign that and then Control-C on my computer, like the color thing comes up. And that's dumb, but I don't have to touch my mouse. It just makes it more, you know, like, so it lets me stay organized easier. I'm more likely to organize things. So I feel like the, the automation, the world of like what constitutes automating and like sort of tightening up workflow can go way into like, I'm writing Python scripts by hand, or it can be as simple as I'm assigning keyboard shortcuts. Yes, there are definitely power user things like, uh, what was it with Text Expander or Keyboard Maestro or Alfred or whatever apps to do it. But the, you know, it's a broad spectrum of trying to make your life easier. Yeah, it's basically just like if you find yourself doing the same things, that's you have to ask yourself if there's a way to automate that that can make your life easier, then those are the things that you would use a program like Keyboard Maestro or Alfred or or Soundflow or whatever to 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 do. Um and it you know, it just allows you to shortcut your your process if you do these things over and over again. But like you said, like if it's just a once a month kind of thing, then maybe it's not worth your time. If that once yeah, a month or thing or if or if the creating the automation becomes really sophisticated, you know, like there's a cost benefit thing to sort of do in your head. Yeah, it's it's like working on your business as opposed to like for your business, you know, it's like you're kind of like uh you're you're creating these efficiencies that allow you to maximize your time. Mixing and production can already take a lot of time for a lot of people, especially like, you know, the things like I mean, this isn't a macro, but like just creating templates alone. Like that's something that you do once, you create your template, you've got things set up, and you've saved that time from creating tracks and coloring them and naming them and routing them and all that stuff. Like, these are efficiencies that, in the end, save you hours sometimes. 
Yeah, I think as long as you, uh, so for instance, I don't mix off a template um, because I want to approach everything at least telling myself that it's, that I'm approaching it with a, a fresh mind, right? I The only thing that I, I do, I did finally create uh, a template that I can import to Pro Tools that is just the set of like buses that I use, you know, drums, guitar, bass, a two bus, you know, with the just a few inserts that I typically start with. Uh, so at least, you know, that's a little quicker for routing too. But, you know, um, I work on a lot of different tracks, some that I recorded, some that I didn't. And I just like, it's, I've had to admit to myself over time that yes, in the end, I basically use the same EQ every time on kick. Like I just know how it works. Like, okay. But I still have tried to be uh, cautious about, template stuff because I feel like it's easy to, you know, fall into, to have that dictate the way you work. Yeah, I guess it, it really does depend on how you work. And if you're, if you're always recording the same instruments all the time, like if you're just like a musician writing your own songs, you might have like similar instrumentation in your songs all the time. So like having those kind of track setups already, that can help be a little bit more efficient. Or if you, if you have like go-to plugin sounds or software synths that you like, that kind of stuff, maybe having those already in there kind of can save you some time having to go through the plugin menus and the presets and all that kind of stuff too, right? Yeah, I mean, it's complicated. Like, I think uh, there's a lot of benefit to actually using the same things over and over again because you get to know them. And that's really important. You know, if, if you've got 50 EQ plugins and you close your eyes and pick one every time you're going to EQ a snare, it's very hard to uh, to calibrate your own personal radar on how things work and how things are supposed to sound. Um I used to tell friends who were getting into photography, like just pick one lens and one film and shoot that for a year. You know, like it's so tempting to be like, Oh, I want to try this or that. Like, don't, you know, like one of my friends, when he went to recording school, if I remember right, the, the, he went to a four year program, like a, a very legit program. The first year they were allowed to use like one mic or something like that. You know, I mean, it was like, just don't open up the Pandora's box yet. Really understand what to expect from things so, you know, on the one hand, I really do believe in that. And on the other hand, I don't know, I want to feel like I'm approaching everything anew when I start mixes. So it's a little of both, I guess. Yeah, there's definitely that balance of like having things inspire you, you know, and, and you know, having that creativity based on having something new. But then, but yeah, there's there's a place for that creativity. And then there's the place for like the mechanical tasks of getting set up that suck. and, and waste For all sure. Your time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, for sure. So what would what would you say are some of the like the most time-saving macros that you've created then? I think some of my <laughs> it's almost embarrassing. So Pro Tools, uh I'm trying to like I I wrote a little list before we started talking just so that I could have some stuff to refer to. And it's just it's just all over the map. Um Pro Tools added this batch rename function uh in Pro Tools 11 or 12 and it's my favorite fucking thing because I'm a total loser and I just care a lot about how things are named. And, but the, the weird part is, um, you know, so it, I'm trying to, so for example, uh, if someone gives you 80 million vocal tracks and they're, they're named all super confusing, it's very easy with like two clicks with that thing to be like, rename these all to vocal and a number, a sequential number. And like that kind of stuff for me just makes my brain relax, you know, when I can, what, it just makes that stuff much easier to visually parse. And uh, there's a checkbox in that dialogue that says regular expression. And regular expression, that my fucking eyes lit up when I saw that, because that is old school, like Unix nerd stuff that allows you to specify a pattern um, so like what's I'm trying to come up with a good example. I like Pro Tools is recording right now, so I don't think I can bring up this dialogue. Like for instance, the pattern might be um I don't know, kick and anything after kick, right? So you can say kick dot star. That means kick followed by any characters, right? Match that whole thing. I just want to replace it with K. So that's like a really simple example. Uh so I actually wrote to the Avid people. And I was like, hey, what regular expression engine are you using for this? And they were like, oh, we got to go talk to a developer about this. But they actually eventually got back to me. And I've got like a whole batch of like, make everything lowercase. You know, take any of these 10 different uh, 
like guitar and change it to GTR and take kick and change it to K and snare and change it to SNR and all this ridiculous shit that it all does in like one go. And I keep meaning to like, I'm like write a blog post or do a YouTube video or put something on GitHub or anything with this. I just haven't had time yet, but like every time I use that stuff, it just brings me great joy because like going through renaming tracks and pro tools, I get a lot of stuff in the mix and it's named crazy. And so just getting that sort of like taking a half hour, an hour to normalize it all means that I don't have to think like my brain doesn't have to cognitively do any lifting while I'm trying to think about like, you know, is the vocal sounding good? Um, so I don't know, maybe the virtual battery name is my current favorite. <laughs> <laughs> but that's, that's a big time saver because like, you're right, we there's you know, there's that always that audio one, audio dot zero one or whatever that people send you. And it's like, that's the fucking worst. So, yeah. Or, you know, <laughs> you get tracks like that and you import them all and they've all got names like that. And so, yeah, it's very easy. Like I have a, a regular expression in that saved as a preset. That's like take underscore and any bunch of numbers that's at the end of every name and just delete it. And so I, I will, I, I, I've said it out loud now, so I got to really, I will post these somewhere on the internet. If people find this useful, that would be cool. Um, another one that I think is, has been really useful to me is not a macro, but is living out of text files, .txt files. Um, this probably sounds like some boomer shit to a lot of people who live in Google Docs or, uh, you know, whatever. But what I found is that over like the hundred years that I've been working on computer stuff, text files have never changed. You know, like all my recall information for every mix I do, you know, I've got little templates that I can paste in for every piece of outboard I have. Uh, I've got a file for every, a text file for every session I'm working on. I keep track of my hours there and to do things and people's notes. And uh, it is, this is a perfect example, I think, of something that is coarse, but very flexible. Like, yes, there are, there are plugins you can get that like, you know, you insert them and they let you put photos of your gear or some shit like that to do recalls on. And I just feel like, you know, there's no guarantee that that plugin is going to work on the next version of Pro Tools. Uh, there's no guarantee that you're going to always have your camera roll if you just take pictures of gear. Like I have a Dropbox full of text files and I can look back. You asked me a record I worked on and I can go tell you what all the, you know, what the two bus exact settings were from eight years ago in, in three minutes, um, you know, and, and any notes that I kept. And so text files for me, uh, are like one of the best tools that you could possibly use. So I use a very old text editor that I wouldn't recommend to anyone, but, uh, there's a bunch like sublime and, uh, even you could use like that Microsoft visual code or whatever, which is free and is a good editor. Just anything that's sort of like a, I mean, you can use Notepad, but what you'll find is if you're if this kind of work appeals to you, you'll want something that's sort of like a little nerdier than that, um, and you'll start finding yourself doing weird text tricks um, that are all the same kind of shit that we're talking about here. But I, for me, that has been, you know, every time someone's like, "Oh, look, there's this new app that lets you do recalls or whatever," and it's got it's got pictures of every kind of like, man, that shit is not going to be around in five years, <laughs> you know, like. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. That That's actually really smart because, yeah, I mean, I have recall notes that were written on paper that I couldn't tell you where they are these days, you know? <laughs> like, or, I feel like paper's okay for that. Like, paper, like, text file is the paper of computers. Like, but at least paper, you can be like, there is, a, I got a notebook, like something, you know? Like, and and paper will always be there for you. You know, I do, like, I do always carry, like, one of these little... This is not a Moleskine, it's uh, it's German, I don't know, Luktrum. It's just a nice notebook. And it's full of like all the notes I wrote for us is in here, you know, and like if I'm going to a session and I'm making plans for mics and stuff like, so that's all in one place just because it's a notebook. Yeah, that, that, no, that's awesome. So I'm assuming do you, you then have like your text document, is that like already kind of templated some, somewhat with like the gear that you would normally use or are you just starting blank, blank page every time? No, I'm dude. I mean, that's the thing. It's, it's so low effort that you just don't need to do anything. The only thing that, I mean, I have little templates for like, Oh, my bus compressor, like threshold ratio, whatever. Uh, 
which is basically just like copying and pasting it from another document, but a little quicker than that. Like, but you know, I basically I've just got formats, you know, that I've gotten used to, but it just doesn't matter. Like you can just sort of like improvise it every time. And it's still like very easy to find things and, you know, it's great. Yeah, yeah. And I think another important point that we should bring up here, too, is that with a lot of this stuff, these macros can connect different applications sometimes, too. So, like, you know, you have your Pro Tools thing that's, that's. I'm assuming when you're, when you're pressing a button to get your Pro Tools, you got your Pro Tools session going, you got your Notepad thing going, your folders. Um, it's, it's like making multiple things happen at once. Sure, yeah, you can say, oh, you know, right. So, for instance, this is not an audio thing, but I did a run of guitar pedals last year, and uh, I used Shopify to ship them, but I had sold them directly. So I had to add all these customers to Shopify, like 100 of them and 100 shipping addresses and all this shit. And Shopify, you know, is a website, um, and it's just a lot of, like, going back and forth between a spreadsheet in Google Docs where all these orders were and going to Shopify and entering like a customer and then flipping over to a different thing and entering an order. And yeah, with like a little bit of keyboard maestro work, I was able to just push a button and like watch the whole thing, copy and paste and create an order and get the shipment ready and just do that a hundred times. And I really don't know how I would have done it if I hadn't done that, you know, like doing them one a hundred times by hand would have taken forever and would have been super error prone. So yeah, you can definitely use it to hop between applications and copy data between applications. I wrote some Python stuff that uh, takes the output of, like I, I while I was doing these guitar pedals, you generate a bill of materials. I should stop, dude. I'm just going way no, off no, into this, the fucking weeds. Cool. I, I like this but, shit. Okay, so you, can, you, you take all this text and stuff and you process it just so, and then basically all you need to do to be able to paste something into a spreadsheet is put tabs between everything in text, right? And then if you just paste it into Google Docs or whatever, you get different columns. So I could take this garbage output that came out of this PCB application, run it through my dumb little script, and paste it into Google Docs and get like a beautiful printable bill of materials that I could use to buy things or send to people to build it. And if you're going to do it once, it wasn't really worth it. But if you're going to do like revision after revision after revision of the circuit board, which I was, uh, you just don't want to be massaging that every time. And you're bound to fuck it up if you do it by hand. So again, you know, just having some dumb script to do that. For sure. Yeah, I think that's a good point to bring up. It's, you know, it's not just... This stuff doesn't just apply to audio. This isn't like these these macros and these scripts. These, these apply to all sorts of elements that you, of your day to day. Yeah, it's just sort of a way of life. And I the reason I'm throwing out all these examples is uh, a because I'm insane, and b because I think I sh I'm just trying to get across like the the type of thinking. And if if anyone is listening to this, and you know, just for it to spark, like oh hey. There are places, you know, in my day to day where I could probably try doing something like that, you know, and you could, it's not that hard to go learn Python, for instance. Uh, it's not that hard to start living out of text files. And it's certainly not hard to try something like Alfred or Keyboard Maestro. There's lots of examples out there. Yeah, I think a lot of those tools, they they take a lot of the programming out of it in a way, you know, it's like, I'm not, I, I, I know nothing about coding, but I can fiddle my way around keyboard maestro and figure it out and you know i mean it is kind of like programming it's got like if statements and you know like but but it's a little more like clearly defined for someone who who's not super super techie right like if it's like you click on like literally open a file and when this happens do this thing next you know yeah like, but the funny part is you're programming you just don't know it like you are you're yeah that's that's true yeah, <laughs> that's a good way to think of it. <laughs> yeah, I'm just not manually adding the scripts, which is or like ty manually typing them out, I guess, right? Totally. No, that, that's cool. I, you know, I think that there's probably a lot of people listening to this that have never once thought about these things, and they're just still clicking on menus or or like typing multiple keyboard shortcuts in a row, all that kind of stuff. So, you know, I think these examples that you're giving us are great examples of shortcuts that just can can make you realize the, the benefits of this and how you can go real deep with this if you want. You know, like uh, another one that like I haven't built yet, but I, and I and maybe I, I don't know if it's possible. I'm sure it is. And you'll probably tell me it is. But like I find myself like every time I'm done a session, like 
being like, okay, well now I have to upload this to like WeTransfer or Dropbox or something like that and share that link, right? So like, I would love to have something where I could just hit bounce and then it does all of those things at once and I'm ready to go. I'm assuming that something like that could be possible, right? Oh yeah, definitely. Of course. Uh, I think that's just a matter of putting the time in uh, and, and committing to something that you feel like you're going to consistently do. Uh, like for instance, I don't use WeTransfer or Dropbox. I host my own website. Of course I do, right? And so I've got scripts for zipping things up and uploading to that and giving me a link to send to bands. Um, and you could definitely do something like that. And it's, I think, it, again, it's a question of how often you do it. For sure. Are there any other good examples that you can think of quickly that like audio related that people might be finding themselves using? Oh, well, okay. Here's the other favorite one that I did uh, a few months ago. So I, I, my first DAW was Cubase and Cubase had a shortcut that you could program for a solo defeat. Like, you know, whatever solo is currently active, turn them all off. And fucking Pro Tools doesn't. And it's like, you know, and anytime you go like look around on the internet, people are like, well, all you gotta do is hold down option and click a solo button. Well, fuck you. I don't want to do that. Like I'm doing something else, you know, like, so it took a little doing, but I figured out a pretty good way, um, with keyboard Mastro to have, I've got this nerdy keyboard that's got a lot of function keys. So it's got F15 and I just hit F15 and it defeats solo. And I don't know how many times I use that a day, but it must be like a hundred times a day. And if anyone from Avid is listening and you're not, but just add this fucking shortcut already for Christ's sake. <laughs> yeah, but but hey, that, 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 that's a great example of... I mean, that's a really good example. Like that functionality is really not in Pro Tools, but like you need it, you know, like you just don't want to be hunting around for what is soloed. You just like, I'm done listening to something in solo and I want to get back to it. And it, I feel like it's a perfect example of like, another good one is, uh, do you use Melodyne at all? Yeah, I do. Yeah. yeah. So Melodyne sounds pretty good and is powerful and their user interface is the worst. It is the worst. And, you know, like tuning vocals is already the worst and it's so meticulous and so painful and uh, is just total like carpal tunnel hell as far as like so much mousing. So I've got a handful of keyboard master. I should put these up somewhere too. scripts that do things like you push one, two, three, four, five, or six, and whatever's selected, it sets it to 10, 20, 30, 40, 50%, you know, correction, right? And I've got some other button, Q or something that double clicks because you got to double click a million fucking times in, in Melodyne. And I don't know, RNT to zoom in and out like Pro Tools because there's like everything about their interface sucks, but uh, but it's actually like possible to make it borderline usable with a handful of you know dumb macros yeah that, that that's a great point like it's not just a matter of like copying keyboard shortcuts that are already built into the software you can you can add functionality to this software by doing these macros yeah i mean i'm sort of like trying to write features that aren't there yeah even like i think of with like keyboard maestro you can have it like find a image on the screen so if there's like a button that you know, right. normally doesn't have a, a shortcut like that. You know, I, I, I think of um, like vocal line, for example, that's that's a tool where like you got to like go hit the capture button, then you got to click on the dub button, then you got to click on the, the process button, you know, so it's like you can shortcut these things that don't have keyboard shortcuts built into them already and and, and save yourself a ton of time. Yep. Yeah. And, and in the case of I mean, I literally hate using Melodyne so much. That I mean, I don't like tuning vocals to start with. It's probably like my least favorite thing, but that I would probably avoid it on a record, you know, just if I didn't have this stuff because it's so miserable to use. And, and, and so for me, you know, it's literally the difference between using this tool and not using it. Absolutely. Yeah, that, that, it's great, man. I, like once I once I discovered this stuff, to me, it just like blew my mind. So that's why that's, you know, why I was really excited to have you on here to talk a lot more about this stuff, because I know that like people right now are probably listening to this being like, I can do this? Like, what? There's a, there's a faster way? <laughs> yeah, my records might not sound good, but let me tell you, they were made efficiently. <laughs> but I would argue against that, obviously. I, you know, I think that, like, all of these things, they are, like you said at the very beginning of this, it's like, they're freeing up your time to be more creative and to actually, like, focus on your work and not be doing these things that are just boring tasks that you just have to do, you know, like, it, yeah, or that you might do differently every time. 
Yeah. So you can you can work way more efficiently and keep your focus and because because I think another thing too is like so many people think to themselves like I'm gonna start mixing now I'm I'm feeling inspired to mix my songs and then they open up their software and then like okay now I gotta create these tracks I gotta do this I gotta do this I gotta do this and like an hour has passed just in mix prep and like they're burnt out by the end of that and all their enthusiasm to to get started is gone. Yeah, or if you're mixing at home, you know, it's like, well, oh, I got to get my interface and I got to find a place to put my computer down and like, where's the power to plug in the interface and like, ah, I can't find my USB cable or whatever. Like, you know, that's a perfect example of like, if you just have a little dedicated spot that you can set up for this where it's always there, you don't have to think about it. Like that lets you get right to the good part and skip the bullshit. And I feel like this is just another version of that. Absolutely. So then, so... Let's transition into like your mixing then. So when it comes to your mixing, do you find that you follow a similar process in terms of like how you would normally tackle a mix and you know what what that process normally looks like for you? Like do you, do you are are you like that kind of person that's like always following a similar path? I don't I I don't think I think about it enough to know the answer. I I think I uh the the answer is probably yes and every once in a while I will shake it up. Uh, I was just telling a friend like this record that I mixed a few years ago, I remember I specifically started with the vocal uh, because, you know, it, like I often, I do a lot of heavy music. I'll start with the drums. Uh, I knew going in that the band leader in this band that I was mixing, this is more like sort of uh, big star type power pop. He hates drums. He's like, I hate drums. And I was like, you what? He's like, I hate drums. <laughs> Who hates drums? I was like, what? <laughs> why are you in a rock band? Uh, but so knowing that, I knew that, you know, the vocal was absolutely, vocal and guitar was going to be the most important thing. Uh, and so, you know, switched things up, started with the vocal and then the guitar. And that was a strange way to work for me, but it worked, you know, and then you just put the drums up after. So, you know, I, uh, I have a console here. I mix sometimes on the console. I mix in the box most of the time with a bunch of hardware inserts. And I, I guess by now I'm broadly doing similar things, but I'm also... I've got enough like levers that I can pull to make things different for like, this seems fun and inspiring, or this seems like a good fit for this record. Uh, so it's, n it's not super assembly line. I, I do work out of, you know, like I said, a, a pretty consistent pro tools setup where I've got like a, you know, just broadly, you know, drums, bass, guitar, whatever, all his auxes over on the right. And those all go to a two bus aux. Uh, that's got a couple of, you know, mix bus processors on it. And then that goes to a, a track in Pro Tools. I record all my mixes back into Pro Tools. And that's pretty much the same and has been for many years. Yeah, I, I keep changing stuff a lot. Yeah. Well, how long does it take you to generally finish a mix then? Ooh, uh, let's see. This band Worship, I mixed, uh, we, we tracked a like an EP for them uh, a few weeks ago. It was on Adult Swim, like last week. And uh, we we finished tracking early, and so we started mixing. And like three hours later, I was like, guys, this is done. Like, your whole EP is done. And they were like, what? I was like, I don't know. I Like, it's just done. Uh, on the other hand, like I did this band, Yaucha, uh, from Nashville. We tracked at Electrical Audio, like, one of the best studios you could hope to go to. They are an incredible band. And we put, uh, I don't know, 90 or 100 or whatever hours into that mix. It it was very hard. So uh, I, the the answer is, you know, it greatly, greatly varies. And it's, it's usually you want to say like, oh, great band, great songs, like kind of mixes itself. But sometimes if you're trying to really push things, which is not necessarily my strength, you know, who knows? And sometimes some bands have people with very strong opinions, especially now, like very rarely are we mixing in the same room. So we've got to figure out ways to do, you know, here's another revision. Is this it? Nope, that's not it. You know, that kind of thing. And that can just take forever. Fair, for sure. Do you use any tools for helping you with your revisions? I started using this thing called, uh, listen to, you know, this. Yeah. 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 Uh, so that was basically what saved that Yaucha mix, I think, is that we were finally able to get on, like where we are now, we were like on a FaceTime call. And at the same time, they were listening to like a high res version of my mix bus. And uh, 
if it should be their guitar player who is also a recording engineer, he could be like, can you try like a little more 3K, you know, on this? And I solo it up and let him hear it and try it. You know, it was sort of like we were sitting in the same room. Um, and they're listening on, you know, systems that are familiar to them, which is kind of cool. Uh, so that's a great tool. I, and for that matter, you know, like I, I will broadcast a mix and listen to it on my phone and walk out and get in my car and just listen to it. Go listen to the mix in the car, you know, and you can drive around cause it's getting broadcasted on the internet. Uh, so that's great. It's like $10 a month or $5 a month or something like that. Super cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great, it's a great tool. It definitely gives you a lot more flexibility. Yeah. There's, there's, um, yeah, listen to, and then another one is uh, Session Wire, which actually kind of acts more like Zoom, where you have like a video chat, a video call that goes into like your Pro Tools session, so you can you can like see each other, you can stream the audio through that. Oh, that's a good idea. Yeah, I did a whole bunch of bullshit to like, you know, I had a mic here, like I'm talking to you on a mic right now, but I had it patched into Pro Tools, and I had that running to listen to, and it was a whole like, you know, but we had a FaceTime. It was, it was a lot of work actually to get set up, but... Uh, it did help, you know, but you, you end up with like feedback problems. And so that sounds like a, a nice tweak on that. Yeah. It's like, it seems like all of these uh, tech tools out there, like zoom and whatever it's like, they, they certainly work very well for like most people, you know, and I guess they're just trying to attract like as many people as they can, but for audio, there's, it's, there's, there's still something missing with it. You know, you can't quite stream your audio through it. Usually like lossless and right. And, and I think that it's, it's actually pretty interesting. We get so used to, working b via like send me a list of notes that the idea of like you know it, it is an adjustment to be like okay we're going to do this in person like for both parties like the band's got to carve out time to sit there and work you know like hours like we're going to sit here for hours and work on this just like we would if you were in person but uh i think in the end it is much more rewarding even though it's harder than it is to just keep listening and sending emails back and forth or have like the endless group text or whatever yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, I was going to ask about that. Like, do you always do your revisions kind of live versus that email back and forth? But that makes a lot of sense. The answer is def definitely not. No, tons of email. Um, tons of email. And actually, uh, more and more group texts. Um, although I try to keep people putting their notes somewhere, but we'll often have like a... I think the group texting is actually great in a lot of ways um, because it is a lot more like being in a room with people. You know, you can have a discussion um, I know a lot of mixers that would disagree with me and they say, no, I just want notes, but, um, I prefer mixing. I prefer music creation to be collaborative. I feel like the artist has a lot, always has a lot of opinions about what they want and should feel heard and, uh, and making, making, removing barriers to conversation is great. And so a group text turns out to be a pretty good way to do that. Yeah, that's, that's a good way to do it for sure. And I think there's, there is that element of when you have a group, all kind of everyone's putting in their own input. There is always like inevitably like the, the contradictory suggestion, you know, like someone, you know, everyone wants it louder. And it's like, well, OK, what's you know, can't just turn everything up louder or that kind of thing. Right. Or like, you know, someone wants like the their drum part louder and the, the vocal is like, no, the drums are already too loud. You know, like you get those kind of things. So it kind of does create a little bit more conversation so that everyone can just get on the same page and make sure that, you know, you're not as the engineer, you're not doing more work than you need to and then undoing it all. And yeah, you know. I mean, previously, I would I, I would ask bands to discuss amongst themselves and then come at me with a list where they've resolved all these things. But the truth is the band doesn't always know what I'm doing to get to somewhere. And so if it's like, you know what, I could make the drums louder, but I'll probably have to do this. Like, and they, if they have to resolve it on their own, they might not even know what some of my options are. I mean, this is a double-edged sword. Like, uh, if you have someone with a one person with a very strong voice, they'll overwhelm the conversation. Um, you know, or, uh, I'm, I'm sort of a, even though I'm personally kind of like an asshole, I'm a pleaser when it comes to band stuff. Like I really do want bands to be in charge. Uh, and, but there's times, you know, where I'm like, look, what you're asking me to do here, I think is a bad idea. Um, and you know, I, I think sometimes those discussions end up going differently in a sort of group chat scenario than they might by email. But, you know, uh, that being said, I still, I still would say I think it's better than, you know, having it just be 
people lobbing stuff over the wall at each other. Like, oh, I'll, <clears throat> I'll handwrite a letter and mail it to you with my mixed notes, you know, like... <laughs> Someone sent me an article the other day. It was it was like this sort of comical article that was like, "Email is some boomer shit, and I hate it." And uh, me and my fellow olds were like, you know, ha ha, look at these kids. But the truth is, you know, if you grew up with a phone in your hand, it's a totally reasonable perspective. Email is a pain in the ass and is a little bit awkward, and and texting is is closer to conversation, for sure. Yeah, I mean, just just because we have all this technology that supposedly makes it easier doesn't mean that it actually truly is the better way. You know, sometimes there is that personal element of conversation that is really important. Yeah. So, so we kind of talked a little bit about your revisions process and how that all looks. Um, ultimately in the end, how do you know when your mixes are, are done? I don't know. At some point you give up. I don't know if I have a good answer to this. I feel like I like it's one of those things that you know when you know. You've pursued a number of things. Like I, I interviewed Matt Bayless a long time ago, who's a great recording engineer. And one of the things he said to me, you know, just in passing was recording is about making decisions. And I think that is really great. It's really true. <clears throat> the more you leave your options open, the more, you know, sort of like a, what's the word? Like a, I don't know, the complexity just sort of unfolds before you. Like, you know, if you don't make one decision and then there's two more decisions that, you know, like they all are branches off of each other. So I feel like, you know, closing in on a mix is partially about making decisions and living with things and saying that's right. And it's also about time. It's about money. Um, Definitely, I, you know, it's it, this is a hard question to answer because you could put on almost any record that I've mixed and I'll tell you all the things that are wrong with it. So were those mixes done? I guess there's that saying that like mixes are always abandoned, not finished, right? Yeah, you know, sometimes you're like, this is just the best I can do. And that's a hard thing to admit to yourself, but sometimes it's true, you know? Like, I know someone else could maybe do better with, than this, but I have... The, the set of decisions I've made and the skills that I have and the tools that I have, this is the best I can do with this. And I, it, the, you know, I feel like everything with mixing and recording is just reps. And the more you do it, the more you know when something's done. Yeah. And I think to, to that point of mixing is about making decisions. It's also kind of the decision of realizing you've, you've, you've done all the, you've all, you've already made your decisions on what kind of moves you want to make. And now you're like, I don't have any more. I think I can do. Like, there's nothing that's popping out at you as like, this is the next step that obviously makes sense for me. It's like, when you're a little more confused about what, what to do next, that's probably a good stop, a good uh, spot to stop and, and check in with the band and evaluate where you're at. Yeah, I mean, for, I, you know, to some degree, the mix is done when there's no more notes. That's probably the, the best way to say it. Uh, and that could be the first rough mix, you know, or it could be a hundred revisions later. But that's really what it comes down to. And how you get to know notes, you know, is uh, is very depending on the band. Yeah, uh, I like how you put it there. It's just like, well, there's no more notes. That That's to me. It's like as the engineer, you generally have your own little kind of mental checklist of the things you want to accomplish with your mix. And then the band obviously has their mental checklist of how what they expect it to sound like. And when both of those lists have reached the end and they've all been checked off, then you can pretty much at that point decide, okay, I think we're probably done. There's nothing else. That we That's can right. Now, sometimes you need to steer that a little bit. You know, uh, sometimes there's, you know, like, Hey, could we add like a, what if we overdubbed another drum part onto this thing? You know, it's like, dude, we are on mixed revision eight. Like, what if we <laughs> do that on the next record? Like, you know, so that's why I was saying that the, the path to no notes is different, you know, depending on the, on the artist. Um, and you just never know. Some some bands are very, very assertive. They want to have a lot of participation. Some bands are like, we just trust you. Do your thing. This sounds great. And it's like, oh, I was assuming we were going to do a revision or two, you know? <laughs> so, so sorry. Long answer short, when there's no more notes. Yeah. No, that's, that's, that's a good spot for sure. Um, yeah, I think the you're right, though, that you, de you definitely have to steer the revision conversation sometimes because people can especially these days, it's like with the ability to have infinite save as is and like have different versions of all this stuff. It's easy to go down that wormhole of like, let's just try this. Let's try this. And and like you kind of take yourself away sometimes from the real magic that, you know, you, that initial gut mix that you made 
you know, where everything felt musical. Like now you're just getting to technical stuff. So sometimes people can go that way, that way too. Well, right? yeah. And I, I work with, I mean, who doesn't at this point, like, you know, I work with lots of bands that have done a lot of recording either on their own or with friends, you know, with purely laptop based stuff. And so for them, like, Hey, can you bounce me out another mix? That's got this in it. Like that, that is, they think of it as something that takes 30 seconds, but you know, I've got like all, all this outboard patched up and it's all in real time. And, you know, I'm trying to follow a process here so that I can keep things repeatable. If you say, Hey, can we go back to mix three, even though we're on mix six that I can remember what we did. And it just takes a little longer and no one wants to hear that. It's fucking boring. And like, they just want to, you know, they're just used to this very different thing. And so I've had, I do have to kind of, balance between um trying to explain to bands that like hey you know this is not just a laptop thing but also trying not to not to make it seem like i'm you know trying to land someone on the moon here like you don't you know you don't want to be like yeah that person's impossible to work with because every revision is like you know brain surgery so just like just like saying that email is uh is shitty and old like you know running analog outboard is shitty and old also really like and we got to keep that in mind yeah absolutely <laughs> yeah i think that you know there's there is something to be said for like when a band's hiring you they're hiring you for your expertise and and part of your expertise is your workflow so if you're going to use analog equipment then people just have to accept that it's going to take a little bit longer sometimes and that's just the way that process works you're right but i think it's important for me to remember and i'm saying this right now for myself to hear it sometimes you got to explain that stuff up front you know, True. like it may be a different experience than anyone that they've recorded with before. Even if they've done lots of records, they may have done them all entirely in the box. And uh, and really bouncing out a mix may have always been like at 10x the, the length of the song. It's like half x, you know, because of all this other stuff. Yeah, setting setting expectations is definitely a big part of this. And yeah, uh, yeah. yeah, I think that's just that that is all part of the efficiency conversation as well. It's like the more you can set those expectations, the more efficient your sessions will run because people are more prepared for what's to come. Yeah. And the less surprised they'll be. I mean, I think that, you know, I, I keep learning this, you know, like it's funny. I've been a parent for a long time. One of the things that they tell you when you have young kids is that it's really important to just set boundaries. Kids don't know boundaries, you know, they don't know anything. And it turns out they find it very reassuring to have boundaries. Well, bands are similar. You know, all you need to say is like, Hey, hoping we can get out of here by seven today. And then everyone knows that. And then they're like, yeah, we can't do another overdub right now. It's about time to go. You know, but if you don't say that, you know, no one knows when we're going to finish. Like, and it's simple shit like that. Like, it really is important for just getting everyone's brain aligned. That's a great point. I, that, that's, that's a really good point. Because I think people feel like there's just like this infinite time frame in the studio sometimes. And it's just like, we're in this creative space. We can just take our time and be creative. And it's like, well, everyone's got their life still. So like, well, and, but it's fine if you want to do that. I, but again, just lay it out up front. You know, if you just say like, look, I love you guys. We, we booked too little time, but I don't care. Cause I love you guys. Like, well, let's do 14 hour days. Fuck it. Like I'm in, you know, then at least you set it up front and everyone's like, all right, you know, order food. Let's go. On the other hand, if you're like, Hey, uh, we got a 12 day session booked and I'm not looking to, you know, I'm looking to be able to function after day five. Can we please keep it to eight or nine hour days? Mm -hmm. You just say that and everyone goes, okay, cool. But if you don't, if you don't say that stuff, no one knows. And then every day is like, well, what are we doing? Are we done? You know, like why, why is this guy so pissed off? Yeah. And so, sometimes setting those expectations actually make people make quicker decisions and you get the job done. Absolutely. Faster. I remember I remember working with an engineer a while ago who like he did things out of his house and he had a nice setup, but he was like, I work from 10 to 5, so I have time in the morning to like take care of my kids, have breakfast with them. In the middle of the day, I'm taking an hour for lunch so I can like hang out with my kids. And then at five o'clock, it's family time. So like get the fuck out of my house by five. And we're like, all right. And so we knew exactly what to do. And it was like we hustled our ass off. We like didn't dick around. We like made our we got our parts prepared ahead of time and we knew exactly what to do. And it was such an efficient session to to yeah, go. Yeah, and you guys just knew. It's not like everyone's like, what the fuck with this guy? It's just like, yeah, okay, we just know going in. Yeah, it was like, what am I gonna argue like, no, you can't hang out with your kids? Like, no, that's bullshit, you know? So <laughs> No, as a matter of fact, it's funny, I've had a few bands since I've tried to start being better about this, because I'm definitely guilty of lots of like death march, 13 hour days, like how did this happen? Uh I've had, you know, like the 23-year-old childless 
derelict bass player be like, yo, you got to get home to your kids. Like, let's wrap this up. You know, it's like, oh, this is, wow, you're awesome. You know, so it really is as simple as just saying some of this stuff. Absolutely, man. Well, well, Scott, I, I don't want to take up too much more of your time, but uh, I think you already shared some like great advice in this episode and, you know, everything, that whole conversation about the macros and all that stuff. I think that's just like a way to work more efficient. I know that like, you know, but you're the first person that I've had on this podcast who's really gone into it. So it was, it was definitely good to hear. And I, I, even just what we just talked about here with setting expectations, I think that that's something a lot of people need to hear and start to actually implement because I know so many people do, that just like, don't they just ignore that and then the, their their quality of life suffers because they've never acknowledged it or said it out loud and, absolutely and i think that it's just such a important part to like you know part of keeping your creative your creativity and keeping your momentum is having that energy and having like feeling like you can still live your life and not be burnt out in all other areas of that so yeah i i, I saw a thing i guess this was like a was popular a few years ago on the internet it was this piece or something that said that there are there are ask people and there are guest people, right? So some people are, they will ask if they can do something and some people, uh, they make you guess. And I, I think as an engineer, it is always good. I mean, I'm very much like a, this kind of mindset, but like to not make people guess, be an ask and tell person, be real explicit. And then everything, we all understand everything and no one's got to guess. And I think everyone is much happier when they're not trying to guess subtext. Absolutely. hundred percent. Well, I think that's a great spot to, to end off on. So um, for people who want to maybe learn more about you or follow you online or possibly even work with you, what's the best way for them to go about doing that? Uh, I have a website. It's um, antisleep.com and I've got an Instagram. Uh, my Instagram name is GSE. Um, and those are the two places that you're most likely to find me on the internet. I My website is woefully out of date, but if you want to hit me up, at least there's contact information and stuff about the studio. Awesome. Cool. And then lastly, are there any cool projects that you're currently working on that you might be able to talk about? Um, I just finished a record for this band Slow Mass um, from Chicago. That was my first session back after COVID. When we thought COVID was over, I went to Chicago and did a record with them and we just finished mixing it. It's amazing. Comes out next year. Uh, my band has a record coming out in two weeks, um, which is our first record in six years. So that's exciting. Um, and we did that here at, I mixed it here in my place and we tracked it down the hall at shark bite and here in Oakland. Um, I don't know what else I just, uh, thrice just came out with a new record that I mixed, uh, which is for me a pretty big deal. Uh, definitely the biggest record I've worked on. Uh, and Ghoul from Oakland Bay Area uh, have a live record coming out that we tracked a few years ago here in Oakland, and they <laughs> they they just released they released a video on VHS and nice. <laughs> uh, and a double live record that's coming out soon, and it's really really good. So I don't know. There's that's some stuff that I've been working on. Amazing. Yeah. Lots of good stuff to check out for sure. Yeah. Awesome, man. Well, Scott, thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to, to do this. There's lots of great stuff in this. So I'm sure people will find it super helpful. I really appreciate you having me. Thanks so much. So there you have it. That was my interview with Scott Evans. And I thought that was a really cool conversation to have. I think it's something unique for the podcast. And I love the fact that we were talking about creating efficiencies in the studio and just ways that you can work smarter, not harder. And the whole idea of using macros down a deep rabbit hole with using tools like Keyboard Maestro, Soundflow, Alfred, all these tools that Scott and I talked about in this episode. And if you're interested in learning more about these things, I'm going to leave links in the show notes so that you can check them out. But it's so powerful to use this software. It allows you to save so much time getting rid of things that you just do repetitively. And personally, I just find that I have way more excitement working on projects now because a lot of those boring mechanical tasks that I dread doing, like naming files or moving things around from folder to folder and, you know, clicking on buttons inside of plugins that require like a lot of mouse clicks, all of these things that just wear me out 
they're now not part of my process anymore. I just hit a button and instantly these things happen. I save a ton of time and that just allows me to focus on the fun parts of mixing. And to me, that is so important. And it has definitely shaved a lot of time off of my workflow. And with that extra time, I mean, there's so much more that I can do with my life. I can, you know, hang out with my friends and family more, hang out with my wife more. I can, uh, you know, work on other hobbies that I'm that I'm passionate about. I can take on more clients and earn more money if I want to, right? Like there is a lot of possibility that you can have when you start to find ways to shortcut your processes and save time. So I hope that you found that episode enlightening and inspiring and that maybe now you have a new outlook on what things you might be able to shortcut in your process. Maybe you're thinking about those things that you hate doing in your mixing process and this is going to inspire you to find ways to automate those processes so you never have to worry about them again. So if you enjoyed this episode, thank you so much for listening and make sure to subscribe on whatever podcast platform you like to listen to podcasts on. And also make sure to visit MasterYourMix.com. That's where I help out musicians with creating pro sounding recordings and mixes from their home studios. And on that website, I've got a ton of great resources designed to help make the process of mixing easy for you so that you can create great results from home and so that you can feel proud of your work and not feel like your mixes just only ever sound like demos. Instead, the whole point here is to just get you very clear on the process so that you know exactly what to do so you can make awesome sounding music and share it with the world. So once again, visit MasterYourMix.com. And on that website, I have a book called The Mixing Mindset. You're definitely going to want to check that out. That is a step-by-step -step process for mixing. And inside, I really break it down in terms of what to be listening for, what order you should work in, and when to be boosting and cutting with EQ, compression, when to be using effects, automation, all that kind of stuff. It really walks you through the whole process so that everything is nice and clear and that you can feel confident through your process and not feel scattered or overwhelmed. So once again, check that out. It's called The Mixing Mindset, and it's available at MasterYourMix.com. All right, that is it for today's episode. I really hope you enjoyed that and look forward to chatting with you in the next one. We'll talk soon. Have a good one. Thanks for listening to the Master Your Mix podcast. To have your questions answered, submit your questions to questions at MasterYourMix.com. Please go to iTunes and subscribe and leave a review. And for more information on how you can improve your mixes, visit MasterYourMix.com.